Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is today's film, 1988 called. And uh, Michael Keaton was on his way to becoming Batman through the magic of Tim Burton. And uh, Lloyd, today we're filling in some gaps in your movie back catalogue. When you were a kid, you never went and saw Beetlejuice at cinema on video. And uh, we've fixed that here today. (laughs) Heads up, guys. Spoilers for Beetlejuice. If you haven't seen it as well, if you've been living in the same world as Lloyd, today's the day. Heads up. Spoilers. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Yeah. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house. I want to get somebody out of your house. (laughs) But the fun has just begun. It's showtime. I am so impressed with how the special effects have held up in this movie. I just firstly got to say that, like I said in our um, Terminator Genesis podcast, how much the stop motion in Terminator 1 took me out of the movie because that special effect has dated really badly, like the jerky motion and everything. But here in Beetlejuice, it works really well because the world of Tim Burton is so believable and it's so alive, like the world of the dead. Like I love tim burton's environments the warped checkered floors the warped doorways it's it's like sonic out of a nightmare and we both grew up with tim burton's imagery and i think they've just become a part of us dave like batman especially is one of my personal favorite movies of all time i sort of think if tim burton hadn't made batman maybe he wouldn't have become the director that he has uh that felt like a really important one in his catalogue yeah just in terms of him finding finance i suppose uh because of the success of batman we've covered a bit of tim burton in the past Uh, on this podcast we did uh, dark shadows and we've also done alice in wonderland which uh still it bothers me that it's made a billion (laughs) dollars And uh, I'm not looking forward to the next one coming out. Yeah, guys, check out that podcast because we did not like Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Every now and then we do a podcast where we really don't like the movie and we don't know why it's worked or, you know, we just sound like bitter old men at times. Uh, But there is going to be another Alice in Wonderland with Mia Vasikowska and um, what's his name? Johnny Depp uh, as the Mad Hatter. and, And it's through the looking glass, I believe. And the posters are out. We're days away, I'm sure, from a trailer. And, uh, you know, we feel like we've got to cover it on the podcast, Lloyd. We've got to see if it's improved the world at all. Unfortunately, that'll mean, uh, you know, contributing towards the billion dollars that that'll probably make. It's crazy. And, and Dark Shadows, I mean, I didn't love it um, when we did that Tim Burton one. So I really liked it till the ending. <laughs> till the ending, sure. 
I suppose he's overusing Johnny Depp for me. He's in everything lately. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a great relationship. We've seen that several times in cinema. We've seen that with Martin Scorsese uh, with and Robert De Niro, and now with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you know, Clint Eastwood and Sergio Leone. There, there's this great, interesting relationship between a director and actor and definitely when you discuss those um relationships you automatically think of tim burton and uh, johnny depp and i think it's been um a hit and miss relationship but i think it's been a really interesting one they've given us some of the most magical movies um ever made and some of the most horrendous movies ever made i think um charlie and the chocolate factory was really a big miss um, I didn't like Alice in Wonderland, um, but I love Ed Wood. I love Edward Scissorhands. I love Sleepy Hollow. So you know, Ed Wood and uh, Edward Scissorhands are two of my favourite films from Tim Burton, and I think it's a lot to do with the outsiders, you know, um, not quite fitting in, being different, and uh, the Ed Wood, like just the filmmaking aspect of it. I mean, you can't sort of watch it and not be uh, enchanted by his enthusiasm. You know, Edward, who's classically known as one of the worst filmmakers of all time. And <laughs> and it's such a legacy, you know. Every Somebody... time I see Edward, I just get inspired to make a project. Like, just his enthusiasm, as you say, it's just so enchanting. And yet, at the end of that, you're like, right, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? It, it's it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. And it's, it's a really well-made movie. And the fact that, you know, he sits down opposite... Orson Welles. Um, Orson Welles. <laughs> And it's kind of like the worst and best meeting each other. I mean, somebody <laughs> has to be the worst. So, look, back to Beetlejuice. So every time it's been on TV, have you just missed it? Well, I think why I missed Beetlejuice when I was young was because I was always afraid of it. Like, the movie cover, which I remember so well, had a severed head on it, and it had a haunted house, and I was terrified so much of ghost stories and haunted houses when I was young. And I, of course, also loved them at the same time. And maybe, also, I didn't want to see Michael Keaton play someone else. Like, because he was Batman to me, I remember seeing him in a small movie from the 90s called Pacific Heights and he played the bad guy in the movie and it was so weird for me seeing him as this really awful villain so maybe there was that part of me that just didn't want to see him as the monster in my nightmares because there are moments in this film where Beetlejuice like he is the villain um, where he he just is so sinister and terrifying that I didn't want to see that I guess in my I you know subconsciously knew that was going to happen in the film and i just didn't want that to happen in my dreams you know i always want to see batman michael keaton as batman <laughs> this is the thing i'm i do assume this gave people nightmares the imagery in this and some of it's practical but some of it is all in your mind you know when you watch that sequence in reservoir dogs where michael madsen's character cuts off the ear uh to stuck in the middle with you there is it's all happening off screen so there's no immediate gore you know but it's all in your mind you're imagining that ear coming off and in this one there's a scene where somebody's asked to show the face that they're going to do and they show a horrendous face that you don't see it's sort of facing away from the camera and because it's not looking at you you probably project the most horrible thing you can imagine there because of the reaction you know that you see when um, Michael Keaton first appears in the living uh, in in the world of the living, it's this really scary attack on the guests, and you see a real sinister 
aspect to the character of Beetlejuice, especially with how in the snake form he leers at uh, at the girl Lydia, who's played by Winona Ryder. There, there is Sonic about the animation, and Burton holds long enough for there to be Sonic between them, and it's very dark and I think multi-layered, and that, like, if I saw that when I was young, would have given me nightmares. Actually, there's a lot of scenes and characters in this movie that would have given me nightmares if I saw this when I was a kid. Hmm. Well, just to break it down briefly, Alec Baldwin's character and Gina Davis's character, they're a young married couple, and they live in a pleasant town in a big house, and uh, long story short, seven minutes and 53 seconds into the film, there's this evil dog, and uh, they, meet, <laughs> they meet their death. So the rest of the story, they are ghosts, essentially. They are haunting their own big house. They're new owners who are trendies, uh, that's what they described as, as on the DVD case. They come in and look to change their house and everything like that. The The film was originally supposed to be much bleaker and more horror-driven, wasn't it, Lloyd? Yeah, that's right. Um, the original screenplay of the movie was written by Michael McDowell, I think his name was, and it, it was originally much darker, a more brutal haunting horror movie and then when Burton was attached he brought in the humor pretty much the Burton aspect to it the accident at the beginning of the movie as you said Dave where the dog barks and they they steer off and crash into the river or the lake or whatever um that was supposed to be much darker and brutal like you're supposed to see her drown her arms being broken and everything like that and the only fragment of that left in the current screen the screenplay that was um the final draft um she just goes oh my arm is really sore or cold or something like that and that you know so we could see how much that was taken out i didn't know anything about this movie other than the i, I think i saw the cartoon when i was really young um I, I watched a cartoon when i was young and i remember liking it but i don't remember too much about it because it, it got buried it's my memory's really fuzzy with all those cartoons that were made from those movies like dumb and dumber mask and back to the future um you know but i i didn't know anything about this movie other than the character of beetlejuice being this wild sort of character well that's good i mean i suppose the the twist of them dying would have been a bit like psycho you know where the main character dies and then you're you're forced to kind of (laughs) reassess the film while you're watching it look the new owners they they have to try and scare them uh they have their ghosts they try and scare them Jeffrey Jones and Catherine O'Hara play the parents of Lydia, who's Winona Ryder. Uh, they're probably most recognisable as Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller and the mother in Home Alone. And uh, it seems like everybody like from this film, I suppose this is a beloved classic. And when people are in beloved classics, they tend to have an acting career, whether people like it or not, don't they? <laughs> uh, they're always available for, like, you know, they... They just have a longevity, I suppose. That's really interesting to me. Like, when you watch a classic and you're like, oh, these people are all in it, you know? Because they became beloved through that classic. It's interesting. We did a whole month on Michael Keaton, but I don't feel bad about talking about him again. Uh, But i got to say, I was really shocked with how long it took for Beetlejuice to come on screen ah, yes. um, yeah it took such a long time like but when you do finally see him it's it's really something yes for a for a title character he's not really in it much is he no. <laughs> um it's said on imdb michael keaton spent only two weeks filming his part in the film which lasts 17.5 minutes out of the 92 minute running time 
Yeah, that's almost like Orson Welles in The Third Man. Mm. You know, he's only in the film for 12 minutes, yet he steals the whole movie because the whole film is based on that character. It builds him up. He comes on screen, does, you know. And same thing with Beetlejuice. The whole film builds Beetlejuice up, you know. Mm. Well, I mean, when he's not on screen, though, he's watching The Exorcist. He's seen it 167 (laughs) times. So he's just off screen watching The Exorcist again and again and again. One thing about this, same as with the Goonies, was that some parts of it were inappropriate, you know. the um, He does a jerking off motion when he gets asked if he's scary, like... And he also, of course, says, nice fucking model. And he <laughs> pushes over that tree, you know. And oh, the 80s when we were allowed, when kids' films were allowed to have swearing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like we talk, We did the podcast on the Goonies. And we, yeah, I remember you saying, man, I'm shocked at how much swearing there is in this movie. And I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of swearing. <laughs> I feel a bit like it's probably going to cycle back around. We're going to get movies again where, where people are cursing and it's commonplace. At this stage, like the Motion Picture Distribution Association, uh, they allow the F word to be said once in, I believe, like an M-rated movie. And if it gets said more than once, it's now automatically an MA. So you often get one fuck, if you will. And it's really, there's a, I think it's Be Cool or Get Shorty really uses it to, to comic effect where they're like, oh no, you can only say fuck once, you know, in a film script or whatever. Then the other one goes, the other guy goes no way or something you know like then they can't say it again and they don't say it again for the whole movie you know if you want to get that rating and that's important for audiences um i remember when hannibal came out and you know this is a film where somebody's brain is eaten on screen you know it's being fried and cooked and then fed to the person whose brain it is you know there was this huge kerfuffle as to whether or not this should be ma or r in australia which would limit the amount of people that could see it, you know, because MA, you get everybody over 15, you lose those 15, 16, 17-year-olds and only get 18-year-olds and over with an R rating. So, I mean, it hurts the box office if a movie can't be seen. And Beetlejuice's box office was very healthy. The budget of $15 million grossed over $70 million. So this is a huge hit in 1988 and one that Tim Burton gets bankrolled into batman so i mean this is a huge it's a home run really yeah i i think this movie is pretty amazing it really is an achievement and milestone of the comedy i think but it is flawed i don't think this is a perfect film at all but the imagination and energy that's interjected into this movie i think is absolutely sublime the the monsters and set pieces are done with a lot of enthusiasm and um dave we both did we met in college and we both did the same film study courses we both saw a lot of german expressionism expressionism films especially the cabinet of dr caligari and when we um you know i personally see the cabinet of dr caligari (laughs) um i personally see that everywhere in tim burton's movies I i read some negative reviews of beetlejuice written during the time of the film's release especially saying that Tim Burton is childish, he's really juvenile. And I, I think the people who think Tim Burton is ju- juvenile have to at least acknowledge the effort 
that it takes to recreate this imagination like the the craftsmanship involved because it's not easy to do an expressionist style movie in the mainstream hollywood machine it isn't easy making these creatures and animating them to live action actors all the makeup work i think here is really really fantastic Mm, and most likely practical there's little cgi there's some claymation in this film so yeah you definitely have to split tim burton's career um pre-cgi and post-cgi because you know it just has like it's still this tim burton signature you can just look at a few seconds of a, of one of his movies and go oh, well that's a tim burton film you know it even if it is this, uh, the charlie and the chocolate factory with heavy cgi environments and everything like that but it just it definitely has a different feel like sleepy hollows and which I, I i acknowledge there is cgi in that obviously but there is more of a case like the environments i feel are more are created more studio like and more realistic because they're more practical and real whereas um the cgi environments you can just tell they're all digital and things like that mm. it's interesting that this spun off into a cartoon series you mentioned and it ran for 94 episodes and i mean it's loosely based on beetlejuice because it's you know and, and beetlejuice is a hero in the cartoon from what i remember um and it, it's like lydia and beetlejuice um, teaming up together you know and everything like that which is not the way this film leaves their relationship <laughs> But, like, the Back to the Future animated series only got 26 episodes, so it's interesting, like, the popularity of Beetlejuice. For me, I really only saw the film when I was early teens, and um, it was just an icon at that time. You know, you would see in comic book shops, they would have, like, a bust of Beetlejuice or, uh, you know, Beetlejuice-type graphic novels, comics, whatever. Uh, You know, I was aware of Beetlejuice as a character, but hadn't seen the film and uh it was just like it seemed like the kind of thing i suppose nerds were tattooing on themselves and stuff you know uh there was some major sort of buzz about who it was before i saw the film i had to refresh my memory because you know it's not like i've seen beetlejuice a lot since then so i watched it again for this episode and and again with fresh eyes because we'd we'd done the month of michael keaton films so you know coming across beetlejuice again like it's an enjoyable enough ride but like you say there are flaws within the film um it's always sort of great to see young alec baldwin and uh young winona ryder roles and look winona ryder she sort of acts as like a pseudo child for them uh they never sort of have a child of their own yeah within the the and i think that was implied that they couldn't have a child like they were really happy they have their dream house and everything and that person's trying to sell get them to sell the house yeah you know and there's this implication that there's just a slight bit of emptiness there because they don't have a child and so i think the implication was gina davis couldn't have a, a child yeah i assume so or else you know they didn't want one doesn't seem right Barb and Adam are their names, uh, the characters' names. They um, they interact with Winona Ryder, and the reason she can see them seems to be, one, because she's weird, and two, because she read the book. Importantly, the book explains the afterlife and what's going on, and, and basically because she read that, and I suppose because she's a child as well, the sort of, she hasn't, you know, stopped believing in magic and and that sort of stuff. Yeah, she still has the gaze to see them sort of thing. Yeah, which is convenient um, because they need someone to communicate with. Um, at that time, you know, 
it doesn't matter what they do, they can't be seen, which leads to one of the plot points of the film. They're in the waiting room with Juno, their caseworker, and they're practicing scary faces, and and he does a look that it sort of looks like spy versus spy, kind of a pterodactyl face with eyes, and, and she's like, great, that's fine, but they can't be seen yet at that time, so it doesn't matter how hideous they look, you know, because the rest of the family is just going to look right through them. And they sort of were having more effect wearing sheets almost, you know. Uh, this It's very comical. And it's something we are all going to have to deal with. Like the the fact, like what happens to you after you die and, and everything. So I suppose there's always going to be an interest in these kind of movies. And Tim Burton's style as well, you know. This is like lays into influences of his um yeah you can you can see burton's obsession in its beginning here and that is the contrast between the worlds he always treats the world of the living as a very dull place very lifeless and empty and the world of death or the supernatural world is a very lively place and that's all throughout corpse bride Alice in Wonderland, where you got the real world, um, and Underland, I guess that's what they call it. No, I think we had huge discussions about that. And Edward Scissorhands, and that's a contrast between the suburban and the gothic. Here in Beetlejuice, we have a really beautiful world of the dead with crazy cr- creatures and twisted architecture. And the world of the living is cold and empty. And I think that's manifested in the love of Lydia. Her live parents doesn't seem to care for her as much as the deceased couple Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis despite being dead they are much more warm and caring um but the problem I had with the with the movie is just that at the end of the movie uh where it implies that the ghosts of Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis have kind of adopted Lydia uh it sort of came out of nowhere for me because I I know there's an implication at the beginning of the film like we said that they they just can't have children so they long to to have a child and Lydia sort of represents that um but it just what didn't work out for me as much as possible and I think Burton exhausted his time with the world and the rules of the undead and of course with the character Beetlejuice so when the ending happened I was sort of like what you know it was like huh oh that's right there, there's something going on here you know because so much time has been spent on the characters and and of course Beetlejuice well, that's right. When Beetlejuice tries to marry Lydia in the climax of the film and therefore kind of free himself, they sort of react as if he's a bad boyfriend. You know, there's kind of like a... Oh, the the, the most haunting thing about this film, Lloyd, is the sequence where they kind of raise them from the dead and they're aging rapidly in their wedding Oh, clothes. the seance scene. Yeah. Oh, man. And you see Adam and Barbara turn into these old, rapidly aging people... The animation is really eerie there. It's something really painful to watch, and the the makeup is so beautiful. It it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. It's, Mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Oh, it was. It was hard to watch, but at the same time, it's just like, wow, what's what's going on here? It's oh man. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, Lydia's kind of our way into this movie because she's the normal one in the Trendies family, and um, you know, she's kind of being forced into marrying Beetlejuice, who's obviously the villain of the film. So I suppose when she gets an A on her maths at the end and they let her hover, she's <laughs> it's it's a bit of an odd ending. It's a bit of a, you know, fun ending, I suppose. And the the parents, her real trendy parents, are are reading a book about harmoniously living with the dead. So 
that means they're not going anywhere. But what I hated about that scene too was the football team because they're ghosts and they're there at the end and they should really be haunting the place where they died. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they're kind of there as well is very odd. There's a great implication there. There's this, like, the world of the dead has become this bureaucratic public service you know it's just hilarious and people have to wait in line for a long time and and things like that but there's all these machinations and mechanics that go behind what implied there's so much more to the to the rules there and I, i just love that world like that when films do that they just imply so much is going on <laughs> definitely and um the fact that they spend three months in the waiting room you know the house gets changed during that time no one immediately tells them what to do it's the same as uh the robert downey jr movie heart and souls when uh the souls i suppose are are dead they're just they're hanging around no one ever tells them what to do and when um, someone comes to collect them this isn't a big spoiler this is very early in the film someone comes to collect them and, and it's like all right i need a soul we've got somebody being born we need a soul to go into the body and they're like what and they don't know what is going on and then they have to be given more time to complete the um you know the the purpose of their life basically uh because no one ever told them for years and years they were just hanging around and they they couldn't ever sort of i suppose close the chapter in their unfinished business i think if burton were to make a sequel to the film now or if they were going to remake this movie he might even cast johnny depp as beetlejuice that wouldn't surprise me and there would be heavy cgi of course i don't know if the subject would be appealing to younger people i don't you know um and the the original sequel they were going to make a sequel to beetlejuice right away but batman was offered and as you said tim burton went in uh, went in a very large direction in his career but let's say um batman didn't happen he would have made a sequel to beetlejuice and that was going to be beetlejuice um goes to hawaii and uh, for some reason tim burton found it funny that the gothic horror imagery of beetlejuice set in the backdrop of hawaii was the beaches of hawaii was funny to him i can't in my mind imagine how that's going to work well it certainly won't be in hawaii uh Beetlejuice 2 is on the cards. It's been announced. It's on IMDb. Oh, right. Yeah, it's on IMDb and it's been given, I suppose, a 2016 estimated release date. The The thing is, though, because it hasn't yet been released and there's no details, the only person they've got attached is Winona Ryder. I would assume... Uh, I'll, go, I'll go against you. That uh, I would assume Michael Keaton, because it's his favourite film, Beetlejuice, the original... He said that? He's uh, quoted as saying his favourite of his films is Beetlejuice. Even though he's only in it for 17 and a half minutes. Because it's his favourite, he would want to do a sequel as Beetlejuice. It would be risky to cast Johnny Depp as Beetlejuice. And as well, because now on the heels of Birdman, Michael Keaton's popular again. Yeah, I know you're right. Yep. It seems silly not to cast him. And, and as well, you could cover any ageing with makeup. You know, just bit more white in the face or whatever and to continue that kind of uh lydia and beetlejuice i suppose angle uh she's already in the film she's now an adult she's gonna have her own kids maybe they'll be living in the same sort of house um i do still think johnny depp will make an appearance there was an early plot that was floating around that was saying um the sequel introduces beetlejuice's older cousin birdie beetle sorry beetle bernie 
And uh, so knowing Tim Burton, um, I would assume Johnny Depp would play Beetle Bernie. You know, so there would be a new character introduced, new toys, new merch, billion dollars. <laughs> Everybody line their pockets, you know. <laughs> I Look, I don't know if Beetlejuice obviously made a bunch of money, so there's a built-in audience. It seems like it's they're just trying to get the story right because... Similar to The Goonies. The Goonies has uh, had a sequel on the cards for a very long time. And there's been the two ideas, I suppose, where you kind of reboot, right? Where you have uh, new kids, new story, similar kind of, you know, redo the plot of the original Goonies. Or you do, like, sequel slash continuation where you have all of the old characters either come back to the town or they're all the parents of these new kids, you know? And they haven't been able to get the script right, and they haven't. It's been on the cards forever. Well, I prefer a sequel than a remake, personally. And as long as they pay heaps of respect to the original, um, so I would like to see Winona Ryder as the character of Lydia, but much older. Um, well, I and mean, maybe she's she not going to be able to age down, so <laughs> that's definitely going to happen. Well, so you haven't seen Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I've got to assume Michael Keaton will will play Beetlejuice again. One uh, great suggestion on IMDb, the user's name is G Swint Family. He said the sequel should be called Beetlejuice Beetlejuice, which means that oh, maybe a, th- a, a third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Because it's inevitable that they have to say the name of Beetlejuice three times, you know, like that Bloody Mary, um, old sort of urban legend. And then you get that kind of, because Beetlejuice is said three times, he appears, and then having the sequel be Beetlejuice Beetlejuice would set up for like wanting a trilogy and whether or not it was necessary or not I, you know i'm not to say but um look it's an enjoyable one beetlejuice it's a classic isn't it lloyd yeah that's right i, I know so many friends have seen this and i was like i've not, i've actually never seen beetlejuice and i'm a huge tim burton fan and automatically i get really bizarre and aggressive reactions like you have not seen Beetlejuice and you like Tim Burton oh you gotta see it it's amazing you know and all this I was talked up so much to me and when I finally watched it I have to say it kind of lived up to that expectation like I really love the effort put into this movie the imagination of Tim Burton's in full um, throttle here it's it's really amazing he goes wild and everything like that I love the energy and craziness of the performance of Michael Keaton um, again I, I don't I think this is a flawed movie there's uh, certain things that didn't work for me but at the same time it is an it deserves its absolute status as a classic what do you reckon it would be, it would be practical effects or CGI in a sequel? I think they'll go all out CGI. <laughs> oh, wow. As much as I'd like to see the, the stop motion and everything like that, uh, I just don't see it happening. I think Tim Burton is really comfortable with his green screen world now. It, is Tim Burton signed on to direct this Beetlejuice or is he going to palm it off? Currently, he's at least down as a writer, director and... Um yeah, just director Seth Graham Smith is down for the screenplay, and I'll just pull up what he's done. Uh, Dark Shadows, so he's a uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. He's uh, written <laughs> an Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, so it's oh, yeah. all sort of <laughs> in the same vein, I suppose. Well, why not? There's so much money that they can make from this franchise. It's still relevant in a lot of people's minds. Um, So I I can't see them not making 
um, Beetlejuice the sequel, and I just I, all I hope for is a good movie, a good fun movie. Yeah, and maybe I mean I would be happy with the title Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That's yeah, that's a a, that sounds awesome. Yeah, hey guys, you can find more stuff from us at podmeifyoucan.com. On the website there, you'll find links to our YouTube channel. Uh, we've been building a catalogue there of films which have they're obscure films, but they have someone famous in them. So uh, you can check those out. We've got some Michael Keaton ones there for those of you that are interested as a part of uh, Michael Keaton Month, which we did this year. As well, uh, I'm, I'm not immune to... I haven't seen every single film in existence, Lloyd. Of course I've <laughs> missed some. And uh, there's a classic that I will be rectifying next week. I will watch Tron. I can't wait for that one, Dave. I loved that movie when I was young and I'm really looking forward to hearing your opinions on it. Yes, um, Jeff Bridges stars in Tron from 1982. That'll be the next film we cover on the podcast, and we hope you can join us. Uh, drop us a line, Twitter, Facebook, you can find it all, podmeifyoucan.com, and uh, otherwise we will talk to you next week. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews. 